Hello, my name is Sara Kallström. I'm curator for program and education at Magazine 3. I'm very happy to welcome you here this afternoon for this uh, artist talk between Jake Chapman and Tessa Brown, curator at Magazine 3, and for the uh, exhibition The Nature of Particles that opens tonight at Magazine 3 with works by Jake and Dinos Chapman and Francisco Goya. And uh, Tessa and Jake will talk more about this now. And uh, just very welcome. And uh, afterwards, I think we might have time for a couple of questions. Uh, so, welcome. Thanks, Sora. Uh, hi, Jake. Hi, Tessa. Uh, wonderful to have you here. Wonderful uh, to be here. Uh, you are here. Dinos uh, is not here. Dinos doesn't exist. We've established that. <laughs> he has other obligations it's to attend to. my alter ego. Yes, yeah. I think that is probably yep. one of the great advantages of uh, working in a duo. You can be in two places at the exactly, same time. Exactly, exactly. All three. <laughs> uh, <laughs> <laughs> all these particles it's moving quantum. around the <laughs> universe. Sure. Um, like Sarah said before, um, we are opening opening an exhibition tonight in an hour, to be exact, called "The Nature of Particles," um, and there will be 20 Goya etchings, uh, originals, together with works that you and Dinos have, uh, Dinos have made uh, in the last years. Uh, but we thought for, for this um, talk that we start a little bit in a different end. We will come back to your interest in Goya and the exhibition itself. And instead, um, we thought that we will show you all a clip from a feature film that um, came out last year, yep. right? Yes. Uh, called? Um, it's called The Marriage of Reason and Squalor. Exactly. Do you want to say something why, while I uh, change the... Um, about the, it's based about the on film, this I, had, I just was actually the thing I was wondering about is that maybe there's a coincidence that Francisco Goya can't be here and Dinos can't be here. Do you think they're <laughs> <laughs> somewhere else together having fun? Not okay. that we're not having fun. <laughs> I hope they are having fun. <laughs> Some of us are, obviously. <laughs> so let's have a look at this one first. Hello? Is anyone home? Hello? Anyone? Anyone there? I was wondering if I could trouble you for a glass of water. I'm just so thirsty and... I got lost with you. Uh, I'm so sorry. I... Oh. Okay, um, so we're gonna leave it here. Um, <laughs> I think that was good for a start. Um, a very Chapanesque love story. Yeah. What is it that we? Well, it's see kind of here? it's um, it's from um, a novel that was written a while ago. It's kind of um, you wrote the novel. Yes. Yes. But you and Dinos made the film. No, I made no? the film. You made the film completely. Dinos made the music. The music. I let okay. him make the music. Yeah. He was allowed to. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah. Um, yes, we do separate things quite often. Um, so it's it's a kind of um, it's a kind of a, a malicious Mills and Doom uh, novel about a uh, an aristocratic genius writer who lives on the lip of a volcano, and a um, uh, and a girl that gets. Um, falls deeply in love with him. It's very sad. 
<laughs> and very funny. <laughs> and very, very funny. Very, yeah. Yeah. Um, I find it also interesting. I mean, this is uh, a work of art in itself, of course, but mm -hmm. it's also a little bit uh, almost like um, uh, product placement, uh, or in this case, more artwork placement sure. in the film. Because if uh, people who know your work yeah. well um, will see that there are drawings, uh, there are yeah. paintings and yeah. sculptures. That That's are right. You. I mean, they're all around. Um, they, he, he lives in a, um, a kind of uh, Lautner-esque house on, uh, that's perched, cantilevered on the edge of the volcano. And it's just a way of showing that he has good taste. Very well, I agree. <laughs> um, but coming to that, uh, there are a few times that you see some drawings, um, and I think you will recognize some of them um, mm -hmm. later on in the exhibition at Magazine sure. 3. Uh, they're called Not to Dot. Yes. Can you say something about them, how they are made? Um, Not to Dot um, is a, a series of, I think, 100 drawings, um, of which we're showing 50, I think. Mm -hmm. um, and they are children's dot-to-dot uh, dot dot drawings, which um, we have very cleverly decided to not follow the um, sequential order of the numeric se sequence that begins with one and ends with 20 or 23 or 4. Um, it's just, I, I guess, the idea of, um, you know, that there's a kind of a play on the idea of assuming that somehow um, the, the, the idea of, of making children conform to uh, a pictorial representation, which are normally um, sort of kind of they're, 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 they're caricatures of what adults think children should be drawing. So it's kind of like forcing the hand of a child, you know, grabbing its little wrist and making it follow numbers with its crayons so that it draws the appropriate image for mummy and daddy, daddy to think that it's kind of following the sort of formative structure of growing up, like potty training and drawing. Uh, you know, little boys and little girls camping. Um, so I suppose that in in you know in our, um, uh, our our attempts to sort of defame that process, we have revealed a more sort of sinister underbelly by not following the uh, the numbers correctly, as though somehow you know somehow you could treat the 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 uh, the, the conscious image being that being presented by the parents or some paternal. Uh, 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 dominant um, um, intervener in the, in, the, in the notion of child's play. And what we've done is we've restored them to the correct mode of childish activity, which is uh, unconscious scribble. Is, is there a, like a great satisfaction to you? It's to much do, easier. To find ways to, yeah, it's much easier, but also to find ways to not do the expected. I, I, I think it's, it, I mean, I think, you know, I think it's, I mean, I can't say that, you know, I don't think that, that, that we, enter into the job of making art or the, the process of making art hoping that they'll have some edifying response to it. I think, you know, we kind of, um, we approach making art in the same way as, uh, you know, a, a loathsome uh, job that we have to do, you know. So Just going to the studio every day. <laughs> well, I think, I think the idea of doing a hundred of these things, and it's, an, it's, 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 it's intended to be an infinite series. I mean, I think we're kind, of, we're kind of interested in the sort of the slavish approach to making art rather than sort of the idea of making art as being some progressive uh, uh, process of enlightenment where we learn things. I mean, what we learn each day when we're at the studio um, is that we don't like being artists. So the idea of making art is not really a positive process. It's not, it's, it's not a process typified by the idea of, um, uh, um, you know, uh, 
producing a form of culture which is edifying, as I said before. It's a, it's a kind of laborious um, subordination to acts which don't really need to be done. There's no, there's no sort of, um, uh, you know, the, the idea of actually um, committing ourselves to something as, as um, prosaic as doing dot to dot is, in a sense, we're kind of, I think if we, you know, it's kind of like um, if we were uh, representing artists for the... Uh, Olympics, I absolutely have no idea where I'm going with this. But it's kind of almost like saying that what we're doing is we're dragging the body of the artist towards a kind of an activity which they probably would, wouldn't want to do. There's nothing, there's no, there's nothing romantically um, rewarding about producing uh, um, any of our work. But it seems to be a lot of fun. You have fun when I think it's, it's funny at our expense. <laughs> no, it is fun. I mean, it's you know, I'm just I mean, you seem to obviously be the, the idea that actually by by some kind of amazingly sort of sophisticated intervention into this process of dot to dot that we can make pictures look like soloists and you know and kind of you know that, that, that somehow we've found some method of producing work. You refine them. A little well, we're kind of you know as, as a kind of uh, as a classical sculptor sort of I guess finds the uh, the beautiful Athena. Uh, a sculpture in the lump of, of rugged marble. We're finding this kind of wonderful minimalism in um, ch children's dot to dots. We're revealing the true nature of dot to dot beneath the, the facile imagery that's there, latent for children's to join ch for children to join up. Mm. So that in a sense, we're, we're liberating children from the obligations of things like potty training or producing coherent images from dot to dot drawings, which is a kind of a revolutionary act. <laughs> Kids' heroes, then. Yeah. Um, but it's also a little bit connected to to the sculpture that has given the name to the whole title at Magazine Three. I think when you're talking about the hidden, yeah. maybe the inner truth or the the hidden. Uh, yeah. You're talking quite a lot about particles. Yes. And the truth about particles as yes. the inner truth. Um, and here we see a sculpture that you made a few years ago. Yeah. I mean, I think yeah, nature of particles. I think that you know, I think that the core. Um, the core uh, object of our, um, our, our um, vehement attack is the notion of metaphysics. The idea that there are some kind of um, numinal essence which can be achieved by making art, mm. that somehow there's some kind, of, uh, um, some kind of greater reality rather than the base materiality of everyday matter. That, you know, that the, that the two, two words in the nature of particles that are, are interesting is obviously nature and particles. Mm -hmm. Nature is not a word that we subscribe to because it's a ludicrous term. Um, and particles are equally ludicrous because they're as, they're as mythical as the notion of nature is. So that we produce sculptures that which, which fall so far, sharp, so, so far short of delivering the very title that they, 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 they mm. um, own. You know, the, the idea that this is the nature of anything is absurd. Mm. And here you also deal with art production itself, because here the sculpture actually exists yes. of sculptures looking yeah, at I, each other. Yeah, I mean, I think that one of the processes is that, that, that we, we tend towards um, material or uh, matter that has a very lowly existence. So with this sculpture, it's made from um, pieces of cardboard and, and just found bits of wood and toilet rolls and earbuds and uh, third-rate African sculptures. And these have been um, turned into, by some act of amazing magic, into, into bronze. So that the idea that you start with the idea of something which is kind of impoverished by its very nature, and you, um, you, 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 uh, you, you elevate it through the process of being cast into bronze so that it achieves the aristocracy of proper sculpture. But the content never really deviates from its orig origin. Mm. Um, 
Yeah. Mm. Yep. Yeah. Mm. They, I mean, it's kind of like um, hardwired disappointment. <laughs> <laughs> um, maybe now coming uh, or a bit deeper into uh, the exhibition and also the core of the exhibition here at Magazine 3. Yes. Uh, it's started with uh, the fact that your and Dino's work, Disasters of War, which yep. is a series of 83 etchings, yep. um, is on display in the exhibition Like a Prayer that opened last fall. Mm -hmm. And uh, the exhibition is up until the summer. And uh, in this work, as in many other works that you have done throughout the years, um, you relate to a work of art uh, that is has a great place within art history. Um, and it's um, yeah. by the Spanish um, 19th century artist Francisco Goya. And he made the series of etchings where he depicted um, the Spanish Peninsula War. And um, here I just show a few images of your version of Disasters of War. Um, just popping in Didn't Goya here. <laughs> He's not here either. Um, and a few images from that series that you and Jake again and again uh, come back to in your work. Um, yeah, you can see it's done in the early 19th century. Um, when did you see these etchings for the first time? Is that something you, you remember clearly or is it a, a piece of no, uh, I mean, that I you've had in your conscience for a long time? I don't think I would remember. I think I'd prefer not to remember. I mean, even if I could remember, I wouldn't say. Hmm. Um, well, because I don't think I don't think that there's a you know I think that our our um, our approach to Goya is wholly unhygienic, um, and that it wouldn't be we I wouldn't be somehow kind of motivated to sort of have some moment of spiritual sort of ha harmony with Goya's mm. actual work if I saw it. I mean, I, the reason I think I like, one of the reasons we kind of like it is because it is uh, a. a the first act of mechanical reproduction—it's—it's it's something which, um, which you know, the authenticity of the work is somehow also undermined by the fact that the thing is reproduced uh, hundreds and hundreds of times. Mm. So the, the the idea of its of its kind of its um, its importance in the canon of art history, uh, canon of art history, is is also undermined by the fact that it's that it doesn't have the scarcity in terms of its, of its materiality. Um, and I think that actually, what's what's quite important is the is the uh, is the the, the text from which we actually um, derived all of our works is, is, is actually a kind of a very cheap, um, uh, infinitely published uh, version by Dover, which is, is a kind of like a really pulp. Mm. You know, so, that, so in some senses, the idea of, you know, I get in conversations with people about the, uh, you know, seeing different versions of Goya prints, the first or third or sixth or 56th edition. And in a sense, the works that we've always, the, 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 or, the, the, the originals or the simulacrum that we've always worked from are, are so far removed from anything of any kind of um, textual sort of uh, um, um, veracity. So that in a sense, you know, uh, you know, we've, we've, we, we have drawn on, I think, third edition prints and any number of, I mean, we're not really bothered. Mm. So, I mean, I, I, I'm being very rude about Goya, but... Um, uh, exactly. You, here, you so actually <laughs> talk or describe your relation to Goya more as a collaboration. With Goya? Mm. Um, no. I don't... I've I, 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 I might have said that, you know, I do contradict myself quite a lot. But um, I think it's more parasitical. I think, you know, the, the, uh, the very reason that we decided to think about working on Goya was something to do with trying to excavate an idea about how, how, how we would both start working together. When we stopped working on our own, um, 
I think that we were just interested in the idea that two artists together could be more duplicitous than one artist. That the very notion of a work of art uh, begs attention from the viewer based upon the idea that its, its confessional relationship is somehow to do with sincerity and truth. Mm. And that if you have two people making the work of art, then it's automatically un untruthful because two people can't have some symbiotic expression of spontaneous, you know, a spontaneous representation of two people's innermost truth is not going to work on one work of art, you know, especially me and Dinos, you know, the idea of turning up to the studio with the same kind of emotional demands on what work we'll be doing that day would be very remote. Um, so in our, in our thinking about the idea of working as two people, um, which we, as I said, which we see as a kind of um, an, an immediate tactic to undermine the, the principles of reductive art being produced by a single person, um, we decided that we should start by looking at what we thought was the first modern artist. And historically, that's kind of given to be um, Goya, and specifically the disasters of war. Mm. Um, you know, the first artist to sort of somehow begin this, this ar archaeological excavation of, of, of the human psyche, um, and, in, and, you know, and, and a kind of uh, a first artist to diverge from represent or from being alloyed to representations of Christianity and the first artist who sort of you know uh, uh, interrogates the idea of the of human doubt as the content of the work of art um, you know and therefore succumbs to a notion of human psychology and so we kind of thought in our endeavor to start this practice that we would go back to the origins of modernity and think about or at least you know the kind of the, the emergent behavior of, of, of modernity and work out how we could somehow I suppose, um, you know, uh, uh, inject ourselves into that process. And also the idea of um, the repetitious element of us returning to this work over and over and over again is, in a sense, uh, a, way of us, a way for us to avoid having to think about content. And I don't mean that as a kind of... Uh, uh, as, as, a, as a, uh, a way of avoiding content because we have no content, but avoiding content because we don't want content. Um, but so the the first work that you did was these small miniatures. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I think you know the idea of you know looking at the magnitude of the Goya piece, uh, Goya originals, the, the the etchings, and thinking the way in which they are sort of historically supported or you know institutionally framed as being um, you know masterpieces, which are almost um, uh, you know kind of seminal representations of atrocity, but also the first works of art which are kind of truly uh, uh, expressive of the, you know, of, of artistic angst. Um, and I suppose that, you know, taking that, that notion of its kind of inflated historical value, that we wanted to reduce the, the, the magnitude of its pathos to the domain of child's play, so that we kind of rob the idea of death of its true, true scale. Uh, so we took ch uh, children's toys and chopped them up and uh, put them together in, in, in each vignette which copies each um, etching. Well, when you, you've done several series yes. of etchings as well, and I just put together a few images where you can see kind of the original, Go yep. uh, the original Goya and then uh, how you work with it. Um, yeah. Sometimes you do additions, sometimes you kind of just rework a motif, sometimes yep. completely standalone uh, motifs uh, in the series. Yes. And also by adding more modern symbols for yeah. violence or yeah. for evil. So it's a little bit like a modern update. Well, I think if you, th if you, I mean, uh, I think the, the most iconic um, 
Goya image in the, the, disaster, the, the suite of Disaster of War is the piece that depicts the three figures hanging from the tree. And the title that he's given to this is Great Deeds Against the Dead. So he's suggesting that even after these people are dead, that somehow there's been some you know, abuse to their bodies after post-mortem. Um, and so in some senses, what we thought about the idea of, of, of returning to Goya's work is to, do, is to do the same thing, is to, is to um, you know, is to vivisect the work in some ways beyond the po point where, where beyond the point of of, um, of you know so that it's kind of it's kind of like it's it's kind of like abusing the work even beyond the point of it uh, kind of of it being dead you know uh, the, the, the repetitive uh, the repetitive act of going back to the work is 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 in a, in a sense uh, repeating what Goya is suggesting in Great Deeds of the De Against the Dead. But are you more attacking? Like him, or are you attacking more um, how he is seen within art history? What by by you're kind of hijacking him? Well, I don't I don't think we're hijacking him or art history. We are we are working um, we are working in an absolutely direct way with material mm. um, trace element of Goya's work. I mean, we work we work with the work, mm. which is you know we're interested in the materiality of the work. We're we're interested in the fact of the work, not the the historical circumstances under which the work is made, because we sort of we're kind of interested in the, the degree to which these images, which are um, you know, have achieved the sort of the pantheon of sort of historical respect in terms of their representations of violence, which in itself is a kind of a euphemism for a kind of a humanistic idea of, of nobility and dignity. And yet what we suggest is that actually this framework, which kind of so holds the work so tightly and tries to stabilize the violence that's internal to the work. Is not is not correct. What we see is that there's a libidinal economy um, internal to the work which exceeds that historic that, that that institutional framework. That when you look at the work, when you look into the work, and I, I guess you know this is a kind of a, a kind of a, a kind of a textual magnification by actually looking at the work, at the drawing, um, that you see things in the work which do not they they do not fulfil. And they're much more precarious and brittle and fragile in terms of the fact that they cannot really support the moral framework that they're being uh, they're being um, sort of recuperated by uh, uh, an institution that what, that serves the purpose of morality. And with the moral framework, you mean the fact that. Uh, uh, for once, there are these moral statements below the images, but also how they are seen as kind of wanting to prevent war or prevent violence and. Well, and if yeah. you can explain what is it that well, you I see in the image that if you think goes about, against that. I mean, if you think about, you know, the kind of the the forensic shift from being an artist, from 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 the the idea of of Goya's work being sort of paradoxically concerned with, you know, I mean, you know, the historical sort of version is that you know Goya was obviously uh, as an artist was um, was. Uh, was interested in enlightenment. In enlightenment, I mean, the Napoleonic army, which was which invaded in, mm. um, I almost said Italy. How brilliant! Mm. Yeah, invaded Italy <laughs> on their way to Spain. Um, you know that they were the the, the the Napoleonic forces were motivated by the, by the notions of reason and rationality. That they had kind of you know they had dispensed with the idea of God in a sense and, and replaced it with kind of scientific rationality. So the enlightenment was being 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 brought by these kind of imperial forces. 
um, uh, to colonize Spain, so that Goya, who is a is a is a you know quite clearly historically a Catholic, is is paradoxically seduced by the forms of of, of enlightenment which are in a sense heretical, and on the one on the on the, on the other hand, he has a, a, a kind of a, a moral obligation to take the side of the the, the Spanish who are being um, you know. Uh, annihilated by the, the 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 French, so you know he, he he as a as a kind of a character that spans a kind of a kind of uh, historical shift from the primacy of of religion to a kind of a secular world, you know, mm. a new world de dependent upon sort of laws of gravity, Newtonian laws of gravity, and and you know that that when you look at the, this image, that these bodies, um, the reason this image is so particularly profound is because. It kind of harmonizes, or at least vibrates, with some kind of uh, Christ, you know, sort of semi-Christian sort of uh, uh, iconography in terms of the fact that it's a kind of almost a, a kind of a holy trinity, that there's almost a cruciform tree, and that what that what you have in this image is that you have flesh represented as a as a physical entity, as a as a as a mass which sags. And hangs and drips and will rot into the into the soil without the chance of any kind of uh, 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 redemption. So what he's suggesting is that you know is this kind of absolutely heretical notion of the physicality of matter and the physicality of matter that that that, that makes human beings when they're dead inanimate mm -hmm. as inanimate as a rock. So that they don't you know so that so the notion of spirit, the notion of the, the nobility of spirit, is kind of being completely denied in this, and so. What you is what's interesting about Goya is you have this kind of you know this the, the, this kind of falling off the the ledge of of the world being uh, being contributed for experience by God into a world being contributed by physics mm -hmm. and the problem with that is that that produces uh, the, you know the doubt that we've inherited now which is this sense of you know uh, um, you know the individual sort of you know oscillating between knowing it's part of a species and knowing it's nothing. Knowing it's nothing and knowing it's, it, that its sovereignty is something you know, important. But you saw, you've also said that it would be impossible to, to make such a beautiful... I mean, or to make an image that wants to prevent violence and at the same time it's that beautiful and fleshy. Um, that there is a contradiction yeah. Well, I mean, I, Yeah, I mean, I think that you know, the way in which um, you know, we tend to produce sort of, you know, dichotomies in order to sort of, uh, you know, appease the, the, uh, the un, un, unpleasant truth about the, the, the proximity to between things like morality and violence is that we produce a, a kind of a, a, a binary system where we, we understand that we have a tendency towards violence, but we also understand that we have some kind of uh, moral um, moral ought, some internal notion of goodness, some transcendent idea of goodness, which is always in op opposition to this kind of sinister, dark underbelly. But I think what's interesting in, in Goya's work is that actually there's no dichotomy. I mean, the the, the in in order to produce this um, this kind of this kind of uh, uh, almost um, euphoric sense of morality that it's actually ingrained in the degrees to which the, the, the drawing of the violence, the, the act of drawing, the, the intensity of the areas of laceration, um, exceed the degree to which this thing can be good in any way. Mm -hmm. It's very sad. <laughs> um, 
maybe just quickly go back to the fact you, you just mentioned it very briefly. Yeah. Um, the fact that you actually that you drew yeah. on original Goyas. Yeah. Um, I mean, that is probably one of the biggest taboos you can uh, do. I mean, it's working on another artist's work. What do you do by... I can think what, of bigger taboos than that. No, no, I mean, <laughs> because when, when you do this, you also have a system for what you want to do with this. And if you tell, tell us something about that, I mean, I that think you that, sold them and then... Well, yes, I think we had a kind of, um, you know, we had an idea that if we could produce, if we could, you know, we could... I mean, I think the idea of, of the economic um, uh, uh, value of the work and the idea of working on the work and then selling the work and buying new prints... Uh, new sets of um, new editions of these of, of Goya's originals isn't so much to do with the spectacle of money. It's to do with the idea of actually erasing Goya's work, um, so that the first work that we first set of, of etchings that we drew on, you know, it's kind of it's kind of um, you know it's kind of interesting gesturally. You know, it's of the order of um, Rauschenberg coloring, uh, uh, erasing a de Kooning drawing. I mean, it's it's all right to do one, but if Rauschenberg had pestered de Kooning or maybe climbed into a studio when he wasn't there and erased all of them. That's a completely different thing. And I think that we're kind of interested, because I think it, it kind of underscores the fact that making art for us is not some kind of, just some sort of cultural activity that we may as well be doing that rather than kind of, you know, something else. You know, we have a, a very urgent belief in um, the uh, eradication of Goya. <laughs> no, but would you say that the framework is then well, it's, uh, it's, changed it, it, when it's, you have it, it's, managed it's to do a that? It's a demonstration that, our, that, that we're serious about our humour, that our, kind of, our sense of humour is, is kind of is voracious and it's persistent and our pessimism is kind of is, 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 a, is, a, is, is you know, it's kind of viral, it's kind of, you know, we, we're kind of, you know, in, in, you know, without being too dramatic, we'd like to think of our work as being a kind of form of aesthetic Ebola. Mm. You know. Well, you, you mentioning humour now. I mean, uh, over the years you've it's been not catching. Uh, you've <laughs> been uh, um, partly criticised, of course, for shock effects or provocations. Yeah. While um, I think, or I believe, that is not at all what you are interested in. It's much more. I don't. I, I mean, I, I, I mean, I think that, you know the thing is, is that. You know, there's there's two things. There's not a universal there's not a universal um, uh, uh, form of making art. And there's not a universal response to that work. So that when you hear people responding in such a way that they're kind of provoked by it, I mean, we're normally talking about people who are probably provoked by a reflection of their own genitals in a mirror. Mm, that's you know. very subjective so for sure. I don't think we need to worry about those uh, people. We're not. No. Um, you know. Um, no, no, and what I meant was more like talk a little bit more about the humor in in your work because that is one of the, I think the the biggest ingredients in your work. Well, I mean, I think there's another way of seeing it. Is the, you know, I think that to go back to posse training and, and dot to dot, you know, the the notion of what one has to give up in order to be sociable is to inhibit your primary drives in favor of sec secondary gains. You know, so the idea of when you get on the bus and someone pushes you out of mm. the way, you don't turn around and murder them. Mm. You kind of, you know, you have to kind of sublimate that kind of anger. You know, you're probably on your, you know, if you're on your way to the gym, you can run a little bit faster or you can, 
you know, there's a, there's a way of kind of negotiating your murderous intent, which we all have. Um, and I think maybe for me and Dinos, our murderous intent is a little less symbolically kind of concealed, that it's kind of somehow revealed in the work we make. Mm -hmm. But I think that, you know, I mean, I obviously, you know, there's, de there's definitely a, a degree to which that, you know, one has to make choices about whether sublimation is a good or bad thing because mm -hmm. it can lead to neurosis. Um, I mean, I think that, you know, thinking about the people that are shocked by our work, I mean, the only, my only response is that I could, you know, if I could get away with killing them, I would. Mm. But obviously, the next best thing is to make work that annoys them. So at least I can maybe infuriate their eyes, which is probably the, the you know, it's the most I can get, get away with without, without going to prison. <laughs> Um, in the meantime, I, we had some images <laughs> passing by uh, of this one uh, motif in, in, uh, sure. in Disasters of War, the great deeds against the dead, uh, in various materials, various scales. Yeah. Um, so I thought maybe leaving that for a moment and um, talk a little bit about a piece that is in the exhibition, um, which is The Sum of All Evil. Yeah. Um, and here we see one of four vitrines. Yes. Um, landscape, a sort of inferno, and a great mix of different um, references, and everything from Nazi soldiers, uh, skeletons, to Nazi clowns. To Nazi clowns. Yeah. Um, again, there is something that is, I, mean, I think some people, even yesterday at the press preview, uh, mentioned Hieronymus Bosch, or yes. uh, all kinds of uh, inferno uh, yeah. references that came. But here you have so many more um, contemporary symbols mm. that you bring in. How, how do you deal with those? Um, well, I think... God, uh, it's, quite, it's quite a difficult thing to dive into this, mm. really, discussing this. Um, I mean, I think, you know, we... I mean, I can discuss, you know, Ronald, for example. I mean, I think we're... You yeah, know, we're we I mean, can I'd, just pick Ronald, for instance. Should we pick on, on mm -hmm. Ronald? I mean, I was just looking at that. That hamburger looks massive. <laughs> Really, completely out of scale. I might have to mm. relook at that. Um, no. Uh, uh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I think that you know, I think our interest in in Ronald is is you know, we've it's kind of well documented that 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 you know that there's something very interesting about a clown who starts off happy and ends up litigious. You know, there's something about you know the, the, a kind of a, a history of of the modern world or industrialization gone bad when a clown who's responsible for um, you know, producing um, you know a kind of a happiness around the world in such a gleeful way, and that you know the, to produce cheap food for everybody um, in a in almost a kind of an egalitarian, revolutionary, libertarian way, um, ends up being kind of the scourge of the world because you know the the, the, the in, in his endeavour to sort of somehow feed the world, <laughs> that sounds like a live aid thing. Um, he, he, he's actually kind of he's actually scorched, scorched mm. the earth by um, by the overproduction of cattle and the diminishing of the rainforests, and so he's now the kind of pariah who who we kind of now associate with being responsible for the absolutely end of the world, you know. And you know, and no amount of painting McDonald's green is going to help, you know. Mm. There's something quite interesting about the idea that actually there's, the, there's this kind of almost you know, it's almost kind of a messianic figure who kind of falls from grace, really. And that actually, you know, the only thing going for him is, was that he was a clown and he was friendly. But now he's kind of tainted all clowns. You know, mm. we now know that all clowns are paedophiles and, and, and scary kind of, you know, meth head, crackhead sort of vicious mm. child molesters. And that's because of Ronald. <laughs> 
They, they I, just, I mean, this is not going out. So <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> okay, um, but, that's on you. <laughs> he told me to say it. No, I mean, it's just, it's just a really interesting idea that the kind of, you know, the, the kind of momentum of sort of industrialization, which was not, which was once, um, you know, something to do with a kind of uh, 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 a complexification of the of the first world in order to sort of, you know, so that, you know, we said this before, but, you know, so that people didn't only have to not cook in their kitchens, mm. but they could eat in their cars. You know, you could go past a, a, a drive-through and grab a burger in your, in your really fast car and drive into the future as though sort of velocity and, you know, it was futuristic. You could eat food that you can imagine spacemen were eating. And, you know, everything's garish and colourful because the world had a notion of this kind of, you know, this absolutely uh, intense, um, this intense um, uh, attraction towards things which were synthetic, you know, so the kind of what's happened now is these kind of doldrums of plastic floating around. The, they're kind of sad in a way because they're sort of like they're kind of they've been sort of you know they're now the unloved pieces of plastic that we once really loved. Um, and so this whole notion of kind of you know the world being kind of seduced by sort of you know artificial colours and stuff is just now it's kind of turned it's kind of it's kind of turned back it's become toxic and it's just a you know so I suppose we're using Ronald as a kind of a parabolic that kind of explains how everything has turned to shit and we're all going to die. Oh, <laughs> Painfully. Um, but uh, Strangled by plastic. Talking about this, uh, all this plastic... <laughs> the dolphins first. Uh, ...in these vitrines. I mean, it's, it must have been such an exhausting process to do these as well. I mean, I think that this is... Is that uh, in my head? Or <laughs> <laughs> in um, my too. Yeah. Um, yeah. What about this process? I mean... Well, I mean, probably I the process yeah. must be also so important to you because you, you I, and Dino, I prefer so you do not have to do it. Why? Because it's unpleasant to do it. I mean, I'm not doing it because it's some kind of religious purpose or I'm compelled by some moral duty. But the point about sort of thinking that that if there was in amongst this work, I mean, this this work is uh, about the fourth or fifth in a sequence mm. of works which will become more and more elaborately stupid and more and more um, trans-temporal or, or atemporal. I mean, the first works were more. They were they were they were more um, persistent on, and provocative in terms of their of, in terms of their their kind of their you know their proximity to representations of the Holocaust to, to actual events in in the 20th century. Um, but um, uh, and in in some ways, what we were thinking is that you know this event, this kind of thing, which is kind of a, a which is the insurmountable object of, of modern history. Um, because in a sense, the, you know, the idea of, the, of industrial genocide is, 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 is that, you know, the, the, the implications being that this is the kind of, you know, this is not something going wrong, this is something going right in terms of the trajectory of the Enlightenment, the trajectory of the industrialization, where a person gets reduced to the labor of, of, of processing another person. So one person equals another person, equals another person until they die in this kind of, this pessimistic sequence. The problem with that is that, you know, in terms of sort of national socialist thinking, you know, the idea of purity laws, the idea of, you know, that we are still riddled with notions of nature which are completely um, um, consistent with their ideas about sort of, you know, sort of genetic species um, determination, you know, are kind of, you know, not, you know it's, it's kind of, it's, it's, it's almost uh, uh, vulgar to mention our kind of phobia of immigrants, immigration, mm -hmm. you know, and this belief in indi indigenous populations, which is absolutely absurd. So, I mean, 
so even if we were going to consider thinking about representing something of the magnitude of the Holocaust, how would we do it? Well, you know, I think if you look at this sculpture, I think there's about sort of 50 or 60,000, you know, I guess, little figures in there. It took us two, two years, no, the hell sculptures, you know, it took us about two years to make. Um, I think in terms of the statistical uh, uh, efficiency of the, of, the, of the death camps, I think they killed 90,000 Russian soldiers in three hours. So in terms of the representational ability of art to comprehend the enormity of such realistic acts, we're interested in how representation works. So if, if we, obviously we can't, you know, the magnitude of numbers can't be done. And so in some ways, the content is not just to do with the pictorial content of it looking like the thing. It's also some, something to do with, uh, with, with us having to subordinate ourselves to the task of making the thing. So in some mm -hmm. senses, the work is not only of industrial genocide, it has an industrial productive element to it in terms of the, of the fact that we have to make the thing. So there's no gestural, there's no gestural sort of artistic act in this thing. It's all reduced to a kind of, we're, we're, we're subordinated to a, a, to a kind of a enslaved to a task, you know, that's to do with not just the representational form, but the energetic form of our work. Mm. And, and where, do you at all think about the viewer when you're producing these kind of works? Or oh. is it a production that is the main... I don't. I mean, I, I'm, I mean, I don't think. I don't really think about sort of. I mean, I think. I mean, I. Th I suppose, with this work, I don't think that we think that there's a difference between the viewer and the producer. I mean, I, I think it also actually, you know, that one of the. Um, I, I guess the advantages of having two people make the work, is that you know you are always partially a viewer to the work because someone else is making the work too. So that it kind of blurs that sort of relationship between, you know, the work as the thing which is over, overburned, uh, overburdened with the intentions of the artist and then the viewer is the person who comes and receives them. I think we kind of like, we want all these things to be completely muddled up. Mm. You well, know, and, and, and also, you know, if we've had, um, you know, the kind of, the, our engagement with critical writing is that if, you know, I think in the early days, we would, if people wrote sort of negative critical stuff would take out adverts in the magazine and write some critical stuff back. Mm. So, you know, constantly uh, objecting to the relationship between the kind of the artist as the producer, you know, the, the, and the object as, the, as, the, as the, the passive object by which the viewer activates by their, by their um, presence. But talking about your collaboration, you work together with your brother. Um... On Skype. Uh, now you do on Skype, no, right? No. But what, how does that work? Is it because you often talk about that it's it's more about the the like critical and political discussions uh, that you have that kind of produce the work and that is important to the work instead yeah. of like you said in the beginning that yeah. it comes from somehow your inner lives in yeah. that sense. Um, but how how does it work in like everyday life? I mean. Mm. Do you, is well, there we, a lot I of mean, friction? Is it w when, when do you know that no, you both no. are happy with the work or who decides when a work is, is, uh, is ready? I, th I, th I think if you look at all of the work, there's always a kind of, uh, there's always a, a, a structural element internal to the work, even though when you look at stuff like this, it looks mm -hmm. as if it's kind of, you know, I mean, there are no drawings to these things. They're kind of over, you know, the general ideas about stuff. But, you know, it's kind of, you know, it's, it's, it's you know, there are, 
there are ideas upon ideas upon ideas, and, and these, the, 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 the work becomes an aggregate of a bundle of ideas which are almost so overlapping. And I think Dino said the other day that, you know, that there's not individu individuated works, it's just one whole kind of overlapping thing. Um, and I think the way it works is that there's an endless conversation, really, you know, and the, the, the work settles as a kind of sediment to the conversation. And I, but I think the work always, you know, the work always, the work, um, you know, the conversation can only get you so far before you have to have a conversation with the work. And the work, in some ways, there's always an element of a, of a, a, a kind of a, um, a, a schematic structure to the work where, you know, if you kind of, if you, if you have little soldiers, these little things, there's only so much you can do with mm. them. I mean, you can do quite a lot with them. <laughs> But, um, you know. but here you haven't worked with already existing. I think that's just important to, to point out. Here yeah. you actually produce all the, the small figures. Well, no, we do. We, we buy them. We chop them up and yeah. change them and remodel them. I think the, but you do the, new, new mold, the, um, molds. We had them. to make Hitler because you can't mm. really buy Hitler. Mm. Thank God. Not very popular. Mm. Um, um, but I don't know if it was Dinos who said it once or probably you as yeah. well that your work reflects the world. Um, and if the world would look differently, your, wor your work would look differently. Mm. Um, does it also affect the world? I hope not. I mean, I, I, yeah, I, hope, I really hope not. I mean, I, I really I'd hate to think that... I mean, I don't think it can. I think, I think it sort of hopefully seamlessly sort of fits in or dovetails with the world rather than... You know, I'd, I would hate the... It could, because the implication is that it would change it, you know... I mean, if, it, if I could change it for, for the negative, then I would say yes, hopefully. But I wouldn't want the work to sort of produce some sort of, you know, kind of some terrible sort of, you know, kind of side, side product of positivity because that would be that the work would fail. I'd be kind of miserable, <laughs> really sad. It would be a terrible thing. No, you know, no, I'm not. You know, I think, I think, you know, I don't obviously don't mean that. I think yes, it's changed the world in very, you know, it's kind of <laughs> but, beyond, but beyond all. You've been working now for <laughs> almost three decades, yeah. I guess, as artists. Yeah. Um, how is it different today if you compare? As well, how I, it was in the beginning, <laughs> less hair. Yeah. But do you? I mean. Both in terms of your own production and also a little bit your uh, motivation for production, but also how the work has been received. Can you see a difference in in how, uh, for instance, one of the the earlier pieces of vitrines, how they yeah. were um, well um, received, and how the works are received today? Um, I would say um, I don't. Th I mean, I think that. You know, I think that we're at pains to make um, the work. I mean, I, th I still think. I mean, it's you know, obviously being older and a lot wiser, but more older and tireder has an effect on the work. You know, it's very difficult to have the same momentum as you know. I think you know one of the things that was kind of you know interesting about the work we made and in the, the, in looking at the body of the work, I mean, sometimes when I look at the sort of catalogues and stuff, I can't believe how much stuff we've made, um, that the momentum was kind of almost infantile in its kind of voraciousness, in its appetite for just producing. Um, and I think that, you know, that kind of, that's, that's difficult to maintain, although, you know, we just, we, we kind of, now we have a, you know, a bit of time off and then we're back into sort of producing the stuff. But I think the stuff, the wonderful art, mm. um, <laughs> <laughs> you're calling it stuff, it is stuff, matter. 
Um, but I think that you know, I think that in terms of how it, it, it operates or works within a kind of a, a, an art world, I don't think we really, I don't think we've very we've we've. I mean, we are, we're at pains to make the work hardwired to work for us without us being part of it, in a sense. You know, the work is, you know, the, I don't think, you know, I was saying um, the other day, you know, that the, uh, you know, the hell sculpture, the one that burnt, before it burnt, it was destined to go to so many uh, museums. It had such a pro problematic existence in its material form, in its material incarnation. Um, there were shows... It was destined for a show in, in Chicago in the Museum of Modern Art, one in uh, the Metropolitan in New York, and uh, Wolfsburg. There's so many museums wanted to show this thing, and I, and I think then the kind of the curators lost their sort of courage, and then you know, you know, week it'd be like a week before the work was um, created and sent. Suddenly, that <laughs> they'd change their number or you know their email would suddenly go flat. Mm -hmm. um, so I think that you know, I think that you know, I think we've. I think, in a in a sense, we've not let up in terms of of being insistent upon the work doing a a, a, a job, which is not necessarily um, making friends. You know, I don't think we. You know, I think our, our, our I think I think our. Uh, hopefully, the work is, is is as relentless now as it is was it as it was then. Well, they ran the right way, and I'm, um, you know, we're not really, in, you know, we're we're interested in making work, and we're we're extremely serious about making our work. I think, you know, in terms of of, of um, my contemporaries, I can definitely say that we're more serious than any of them, because they're all rubbish. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> they go on holiday and stuff like that. I mean, yeah. Christ, we didn't go on holiday. But um, time is is uh, <laughs> running short here. Um, but. Uh, as a last thing, what? Yeah. But what is what is your greatest motivation for doing art? It's, is it is it the is it making it? Is it bringing it out? Is it's it a necessity? Is it? It's, I don't. I I think it's it's an it's an experimental activity which is beyond. You know that you can't master the idea of what the thing is. You know, I think that's the, that's why it's an interesting. You know, it's a kind of it's it's a it's a kind of um, it's a perpetual beyond grasp. Activity. There's a thing in which you know, you know, you're seduced by this by the by the notion that you can have some control over what you're doing. That you know, the, and I think that's the interesting thing about making art in general is that it, it you know, in terms of the idea of, of how um, you know human culture, the one thing which is kind of almost the uh, you know the 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 apex, the zenith of human intention, that would be art. And yet, simultaneously, it's the one thing which seems to be less than that. You know, there's a, there's a kind of something very ironic about the idea that actually, you know, that you know, that the scientist is motivated by sort of an instrumental act that has some outcome, some kind of definable out, definable outcome. Or, uh, you know, the idea of you know making art is that it it seems to be embedded in in a belief that this is the um, the epitome of artistic. Uh, uh, of, of human, of human, of human attempts to, to 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 speak about their existence, and yet the very nature of sitting down, or sort of standing up, depending how you do it, you know, with a canvas in front of you, thinking that you're doing X, Y, and Z, and when you finish the thing, the the the, the primary function of the work of art is to disinherit the person who makes it. So, rather than the art actually being this thing, which is this kind of signature of humanity, is actually quite the opposite. It's actually a signature of an inhuman. Activity. It's the thing which 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 most rejects human activity. I think that is a 
perfect way to end this. <laughs> Maybe instead of with this picture, with this one. Um, <laughs> there are many more pictures here we didn't um, get sure. to talk about. Um, <laughs> We have an opening that starts in one minute, so I even think it will be hard to <laughs> have some questions from, well, from the audience. Instead, I would suggest uh, anyone who has questions to um, ask them to you while we mingle at sure. the opening. Okay. Thank you so much. Um, I checked the, the schedule before. There is a bus 76 uh, <laughs> leaving, I think, nine minutes past six. So I think there, we all can on, get sorry, there. There are one. buses that go at nine minutes past. Really? Is it like a? Is like a? It's a nine minutes. My God. Yes. My God. It's the regular bus. I mean, English English, English buses are like somewhere between <laughs> ten past and <laughs> you know, within the hour. <laughs> okay. Thank you so much, Jake. It's my pleasure. Thank you so much. Mm -hmm.